Well, how many of you actually remembered that at one time we were doing a series in the book of Romans? All right. Well, for the next three weeks, we're going to get through Romans chapter 8. Uh, this morning we'll be in Romans 8, 12 to 17. We'll finish up Romans 8 uh, in the next two weeks. And then after that, uh, by the suggestion of our leadership advisory team, um, there's going to be probably a two or three part teaching on worship. What it is, what it's not, and why it's important. But this morning, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verses, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. And I borrow the title of this sermon from a very famous singer, Bob Dylan. The title of the sermon is this You got to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. So let me read the scriptures to you and then we'll go through it. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. You got to serve somebody. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Messiah. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. It's my prayer that the Spirit would take over in this message this morning, which I believe is both simple and important. I pray that in Yeshua's name. Amen. Two very important words in verse 12. The first one is brethren, and the second one is debtors. He's addressing this. Thank you. Right. Does this turn into wine? Vodka. All right. (laughs) Brethren and debtors. Have you ever thought of yourself as a believer, as a debtor? I think you have to understand what it means to be a debtor. You owe somebody or something something. In other words, we are not our own gods. We are not our own supervisors, although many of us think we are. No, in fact, we are all debtors. But the question is this, to whom do you owe your debt? Or to what do you owe your debt? Whether you are a believer in Messiah or not a believer in Messiah, and this particular passage, this particular book, this particular chapter is written to the believing community in Rome, and I believe also written to us as believers today. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, but not to the flesh. Not to the flesh. 
How many of you read the scriptures too fast? How many of you don't spend enough time stopping, waiting, praying, asking, and receiving illumination about what the scripture has to say? How many of you, when you've read this particular verse, have stopped to say, just what does Paul mean by the flesh? Now, the Greek word here gives us a bit of an understanding. It's the word sarx, which is also used for body, as in the physical body. But he's not talking about being a debtor to your own body. You see, the spiritual understanding of flesh is doing things in our own strength, to make our way through the world. That, by the way, is the only way a non-believer can operate, is in the flesh. Because there is no spirit to appropriate knowledge for in order to be led by, in order to receive life. And so the one who does not have the spirit, who does not have Yeshua, who is not a son of God, only has him or herself to guide and to act. And that's called living in the flesh, or by the flesh. But we as believers do not live according to the flesh. Verse 13. Why? Because if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. And in conclusion, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's kind of like a misstatement on Paul's part. You see, the actuality is, if you are born into this world, you're already born dead, dead spiritually. The understanding here is that if you continue to live in the flesh and not by the spirit, that death will be permanent, eternal, as in always and for all times. Because we are eternal beings created in the image and likeness of God. The question is, where do we spend our eternity? Do we spend it living by the flesh, which leads to death, Or do we spend it living by the Spirit? If you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. The flesh leads to death. The Spirit puts to death the deeds of the flesh. It, if you will, crucifies the deeds of the flesh and allows for life. Galatians 6, 8 says it this way. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap of the Spirit everlasting life. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. Are you like me and not always led by the Spirit of God? Are you like me sometimes going back to the understanding, I got this one taken care of. You worry about the bigger things in life. I'll handle this one. You see, even for believers, the question is, do we allow ourselves to be fully led by the Spirit of God, or are we selective in allowing his leading in our life? 
Is his teaching, is his incorporation into our thought process, is his conviction a moment-by-moment, ever-present leading in our lives? Or do we only look to him when we think we need it? I'm afraid that the majority of believers in the world today are in the latter camp. They have not, and I guess this is the phrase you would use, totally sold out to the leading of the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit taking over your body so that you shake, rattle, and roll, fall on your knees, handle snakes, and yell hallelujah every time you win at the grocery store and get a coupon for something free. What I am talking about is understanding who the Spirit is and what his role is in your life. So let me just give you a couple of examples of what that role is in the life of a believer. Number one, the Spirit regenerates. It regenerates. John 3, verses 3 to 5. The Spirit also indwells. Indwells. Lives within. Captures our heart. Seals our soul. Romans 8 and 11. The Spirit also anoints if we allow the anointing. You see, everyone here has been given a gift by God by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The question is whether we want to accept it or not. And everyone here who has been given a gift by God, are you listening very carefully? Is supposed to use that gift for the edification of the body. The Spirit of God does not allow for quiet pew-sitters. And I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. The Spirit of God anoints for service because what he gives us is not for our own benefit alone. That would be working in and out of the flesh. What he gives us is for the benefit of the body. The Spirit also guides. John 16, verse 13. He is the helper that Messiah promised would come when he left. The Spirit also empowers. Micah 3.18, it gives us boldness. It gives us strength. When our fleshly strength would fail us, spiritual strength upholds us. The Spirit also sanctifies. And please don't think that that means it makes you holy. It does but it really means it sets you apart. It makes you different. It makes you unique. It makes you, in a good way, stand out from the world so the world can stand up and take notice. Dear ones, how many of you are shrinking back from that responsibility of standing out in the world so that the world can take notice? The Spirit is a helper. We read about that in John 14, 16 to 26. The Spirit gives discernment. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 16. 1 John 4, 1 to 6. And I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, that's the spirit of the flesh, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Messiah. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, my dear ones, bondage leads to fear. Adoption leads to security. I never had a real close relationship with my father, but I can remember when I started to learn how to swim and I started freaking out because the water was starting to get above my nose. My first cry was, Dad, Dad, and there was that hand pulling me up out of the water. Of course, he was ready to throw me back in, but the hand was still there. We have a heavenly father whose hand is ever-present, And we need not fear. The spirit of bondage leads to fear. The spirit of adoption leads to security. Ultimate security. Security in our heavenly fathers. Verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How many people do you know that are children of God that are still acting in the flesh? Everybody to some extent, am I right? What does that look like? Let me give you some examples. Maybe it hits home, maybe it does not. If you have a problem for every solution, you are living by the spirit of the flesh. If there's no problem and you need to create one, you are living in the spirit of the flesh. If people you think are constantly talking about you, 
You're living in the spirit of the flesh. I heard this great quote the other day. It said, when I was 25, I worried about what people were saying about me. When I was 45, I didn't worry anymore about what people were saying about me. And by the time I was 65, I realized nobody was talking about me anyway. (laughs) If you worry more about tomorrow than living for today, you're living in the flesh. And if everyone and everything and every circumstance around you has to be just right for you to be okay, my dear brother or sister, you are living in the flesh. That is not a spirit-filled life. A spirit-filled life lives by the moment for one very, very, very important reason. The only time that we can connect with the Lord is in the moment. Only he lives in the past, present, and future all at the same time. We are creatures of time, and the only time we can commune with him is the right now. And that's what the Spirit does. It leads us into the now so that our now can positively affect the future without worrying about the future, which affects our now. It's an opposite world, if you know what I mean. The Spirit also allows us not to regret what was in the past or fear what is in the future. The Spirit allows us to live in the present. Because you can't do anything about what's already happened, can you? Nor can you predict or persuade what's going to happen in the future by your own strength. No. What you do have is a fiduciary responsibility to take care of your present and to make it honoring to the Lord God. Because we are debtors. But who else would you want to serve but a God whose gift is free? Amen? Verse 17, as we close. And if children, then heirs. Tina was an heir, an heiress. Her grandmother married a gentleman who was very rich. He passed away. He had no relatives. All the money went to her grandma. And then the grandma had joint heirs, all of her grandchildren and her daughter. That's why we live in the house we live in now. To be an heir of someone who has something valuable is a good thing. How much more value is there than to be heirs of the king of creation and the God of creation? And we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs, joint heirs with Messiah. To which theologians ask the question, are you kidding me? My heirship is a joint heirship with the salvation of the world? Yes. 
joint heirs. He is God's son, and we are God's children. As someone once says, God don't have no grandkids. We are all children, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah. And then here's the thing we have to understand. To be a joint heir of Messiah means both suffering with him and reveling with him in glory. Both suffering with him and reveling with him in glory. Now, you can put all kinds of definitions on suffering. I'll let you do that in your own mind. Everybody suffers in their own way. But I want you to think about this part of suffering that you may not have come to mind at the first notion of suffering. Why did he suffer? For the sake of mankind. How many of us suffer deep inside when we know we have a family member or a friend who has not yet found eternal life through the gift of the God of creation? Do you suffer? Or do you just say, well, I'll pray for him. I'll pray for her. To which I say, good for you. The gift of salvation is given to share, not just to possess. And if we suffer for the lost, should we not also share with them the only hope that will cure their suffering, which they may not even be aware of? A suffering that is eternal, a suffering that never ends. A suffering that the scripture decides as ever describes as everlasting torment. I don't know about you, but I don't want that for my relatives. I don't want that for my friends. Indeed, we are children of God if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Biachad, as one. As a believer in Messiah Yeshua, you don't live your life alone. As a believer in Messiah Yeshua, you live your life with a community of other believers. As a believer in Messiah Yeshua, when you glorify the Lord, you glorify it with others. This is not an individual faith. This is a communal faith. We are the people of God. It's not Dennis of God and Gary of God and David of God and Dan of God and Maria of God. It's children of God all together. And we need each other. We desperately need each other. All right, I'm preaching to me now. I don't know where I am. Young man, don't let this day just be another day in your life. Let this day be a beginning for the rest of your life. I would suggest to you tonight that you go back over the words you gave when you gave the drosh from the Torah and the words that you spoke in your testimony and ask God to make them incredibly real in your life 
so that they don't just become a story, but they become who you are. And I would ask that of everyone else in this room as well. Your testimony is not a story. Your testimony is a tool. But it's only a tool if you use it. And you can only use it if you're led by the Spirit. Because if you're led by the flesh, your testimony is all about you. But if you're led by your Spirit, it's all about Him. Let's pray. Avinu Malkano, our Father and our King. How awesome you are to allow us to be debtors to you. Debtors for something we could never earn that was freely given. But debtors just the same. Lord, when a word comes out of our mouth, may it honor you. When the action comes from the work of our hands, may it honor you. When we study your word, may it honor you. When we serve in the congregation, may it honor you. This is our reasonable service to you, our God and Savior. And so I pray for all of us here at Son of David Congregation that we learn not just what glory is, but what co-Messiah suffering is all about. That we would be witnesses for the kingdom. We would be tools in the hands of the Spirit that by our words and by our deeds, many would receive eternal life. This I pray, Lord, in the name of eternal life, Yeshua, our Messiah. Let us all say together, Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction?